you to talk deeply about ways that we can overcome sin and overcome the temptation that so frequently uh, can weigh us down in, in our lives. Jeremiah chapter 2, I have found to be just uh, an absolutely fascinating chapter because uh, you have God going into such great detail about the nature of their sins and describing why those sins are the way that they are and why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, the, the title for this series has come from verse 25, where you read there in Jeremiah 2, 25, do not chase after other gods until your shoes wear out and your throats become dry. But you say, it is useless for you to try to stop me because I love those foreign gods and I want to pursue them. There's this picture of the people saying, we can't stop. We are so addicted to our sin and we are so addicted to our idols that even though you say we need to stop, we just can't do it. And we're going to be talking more about that tonight, that this truly is the problem in the nature of sin, is that uh, it becomes such a, a weight in our lives that we can feel like we can't escape it. We feel like uh, there's no hope, there's no use, and we're just going to have to give ourselves completely over to sin. I mean, as an aside, I can't tell you how many discussions with people who've said something that to that effect to me. You've just been like, I just can't figure out how to stop. It is just something that is consuming my life. It is something that I seem like I'm never going to be able to get past. And and this is something that God understands and directs his attention to, to tell us the very problem of sin and how we can work our way through it. Uh, before we move into verse 14, which is where we're going to uh, pick up, I want to remind you of one of the big ideas that came from those first 13 verses, where God depicted essentially the choice of sin as being to choose worthlessness and trading away the valuable and the glory of God, to choose the created and the creature rather than the creator God. There's these great pictures that, that God uses, and if you remember the picture that God uses is you are trading away the cool, flowing, living waters for the stale, gross water that would be found in a cistern, except your cistern can't hold water. And so that's how God's trying to picture the, the choice that we're making when we sin is I'm trying to give you satisfaction. I'm trying to give you life. And you're choosing to try to find your satisfaction that will always end up to be empty. And so now God's going to illustrate that uh, through the rest of chapter 2. And, and the first picture that I want you to, to see that he describes that is to instruct us and help us in the battle of sin, as he says, you need to know that sin enslaves. Notice verse 14. Here's this question that God has for the people. He says, is Israel a slave? Is he a home-born servant? Why then has he become a prey? The lions have roared against him. They have roared loudly. They have made his land a waste. His cities are in ruin without, it, without inhabitants. Moreover, the men of Memphis and Tophanes have shaved the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? And what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? 
Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of you is not in fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. This is a really great picture as God introduces the problem in even a deeper way. When he asked the question, is, is Israel enslaved? Are you a servant? Now remember, God had set Israel free. And so the answer that should have come from Israel when God asked, are you enslaved, is no. Lord, you set us free. We were in bondage. We were in slavery. We were in that oppression. But God had rescued them. And you'll notice then God then follows that up by saying, so then... Why have you become the prey? Essentially, how have you become enslaved again? I set you free, and now you're back in the very problem that you started in. Now you've become oppressed again. Now you've become enslaved again. It is a a real interesting way that he asked this question, particularly because of verse 17 when he says, Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God? When he led you in the way, you get this imagery of God saying, I led you right out of slavery and I took you on the right path. And what you did is you decided to not listen to me anymore and go back the wrong way, which was actually, remember, visualized in the Exodus. Remember, the people said, we want to go back to Egypt, which we read that and we like put our hands on our heads and go, You have to be kidding me, right? You want to go back to oppression? You want to go back to slavery? They did. And here is God using that as the image and saying, this is the problem in the very nature of sin, is that sin is enslaving. Sin ruins our lives. It puts us in bad circumstances and causes us to experience terrible consequences. In fact, you see that underscored in verse 19. Look at the middle of verse 19 when he says, Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. I want us to to hear what God is saying is, you know, I'm trying to keep you from sin because sin, he doesn't say, is satisfying and wonderful. He says, it's going to make your life bitter. Now, don't have to do share and tell right now, but please do a little life inventory and think about how many times sin has made your life difficult, a calamity, and bitter. And that's what God is saying. I set you free from that. I I tried to get you out of that problem. And you're forsaking me and choosing to go back to a life that is full of evil and bitterness. And the implication I think God is trying to say to us is who would sign up for that? (laughs) Who's going to sign up for? Yes, I would like to be enslaved to pain and suffering and misery and ruin. Sign me up. I really want that in my life. God say nobody wants that. But the choice of sin is doing that very thing. And that's visualized in, in verses 16 as well as in verse verse 18 where you get a picture of the people are in trouble. They're crying out for help. But notice where they're turning to for all their help. 
saying you're running to Egypt and you're running to Assyria. And notice the irony where he describes it as you're running to the waters of Egypt, the Nile. You're running to the waters of Assyria, the, the Euphrates. Well, what had God just said earlier? I'm trying to give you waters. You're trading my satisfying waters for waters that don't satisfy. And he's now visualized it by saying, here's the problem. You're looking everywhere but to God. You've got trouble. You're looking to Assyria. You don't turn to God. You've got problems. You don't turn to God. You're turning to Egypt. You're trying to find any and everyone else to help you in your problems when that's the very problem. That's what he's getting at right there. Verse 17, have you not brought this on yourself by forsaking the Lord? You're not turning to me in your time of difficulty. You're turning to everything else. And that's why things are bitter and things are hard and things are difficult. And thus he notice how he puts it in verse 20 when he says, for long ago, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. So, so notice he's visualizing the exodus with them. I, I set you free. I, I, I took those bonds that were on you and I just snapped them off and shattered them. You were set free. And he says in the rest of verse 20, but you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and on every green tree, you bowed down like a harlot. <laughs> the imagery that he says, I set you free from your slavery only for you to run right back to your slavery. We have a stunning way of doing this, that God comes to us and say, I'm setting you free from your sins. I'm setting you free from being enslaved to the, the flesh and to the desires and the worldliness and all the emptiness that is in the world. And he says, here you go. You've been set free. You come up out of the waters of baptism. You're washed clean. And the first thing we have the tendency to do is to go, okay, now let's go run right back into things that caused us the problems that we had. And he's saying, I, I, I burst your bonds. And you said, well, I'm not going to serve. I'm going to go back to doing the very thing I was doing in the first place. So he's describing the, the utter foolishness of this. And the reason why this is so important is because God's trying to underscore sin never rescues. Sin never saves us. Sin never helps us out of our troubles. Sin never makes things better in the long run. It never does what it says it's going to do. It only compounds the problem. And please think about how the Apostle Paul said, I love how the Apostle Paul words this. He wrote this to the Romans. He said, for just as you once presented your members, and he's speaking of the parts of your body, you presented yourselves, your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity. So here's what you used to do. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. Now, notice, I want you to think about the logic that he now gives. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And you read that and go, that's not good. When you're enslaved to sin, you, you're not in the realm of righteousness. You, you're not enjoying the things of God. And so now he asks this question. So what advantage did you then get from all these things for to which you are now ashamed. This is a great internal inventory moment. 
So what did being enslaved to sin, what advantage did that give you? <laughs> what good did that do for your life? See, you see what God's doing is saying, you see that sin is enslaving. Why do you give yourself back over to it? He ends it by saying, the end of those things is death. It just gets worse and worse and worse that sin compounds and compounds and you get to the end of it and you don't have something to be able to stand before you and go, well, look how it made everything so much better. He says, what advantage do you have? Well, he's going to talk about some of your disadvantages, but one of the biggest disadvantages, one of the biggest outcomes of this is the destruction of your life and the destruction of your soul. And listen to how the apostle Paul worded it when he said it to the Galatians. He said, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? That is a powerful way to, to ask the question. Now that you know God, and then he kind of reframes that and goes, even better. God knows you. How could you possibly want to go back to these elementary, worldly, weak, worthless things and let them enslave you again? Why would you want to go back to that? You have walked into the better life by being in Christ. Why would you look at the things of the world that you know are foolish and empty and hurtful and cause suffering and bitterness and pain and go, I want that. Let's, let's go back to that. Sin enslaves, it enslaves, it enslaves. And so we need to listen to what Jeremiah 2.19 says, where it says it's just going to make our lives bitter and hard. When the temptation is before us, remind us of this. Sin is enslaving. Now, my dad, when I was a kid, never said it to me this way because that didn't make a whole lot of sense. So he just, he used potato chips. And I remembered it my whole life because he said, Sin is like potato chips. You can't eat just one. And he's right. It's enslaving. You think you're going to just dabble in this, right? It's just going to be this one time. And it grabs you. And there are way too many stories of people who have become enslaved to things. That it was just seemingly a temporary moment, a one-time thing, and now they are completely caught in these sins. And that's what God's trying to picture here when he asks the question, hey, Israel, are you, are you enslaved? No. Then what's going on? Why are you enslaved? Why have you put yourself back in that position? The very thing that God has set us free from in Christ so that we would never want to be enslaved again. That's the first picture that he gives to us. I'll end with this, with this first point by reminding us what Paul wrote to Titus when he said that you used to be slaves to the various passions and pleasures. Titus 3 and verse 3. That, that's the essence of the problem is we are allowing our flesh and our desires to now be in charge, which is really the next point that comes up. The second point that he observes is that sin stains. Look at verse 21. He says there, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Now listen to this. 
Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. That's a really amazing picture, and it's a picture that we understand. You probably have experienced this, and there's probably some hidden place in your house where you have spilled something, and you have cleaned it, and you have cleaned it, and you've cleaned it some more and you've used every chemical possible and every rag and magic eraser that there is. And there's still this mark that will not go away no matter what you do. You've even had the pro cleaners come in and there it still is. There is the stain. And that's what God is describing here is that the essence of sin is that there are these forever stains, these consequences that we are forever stuck with, that we are constantly going to be before us. And I think that is such an important reminder for us is that we don't realize the long-lasting impact and consequences of sin. I, I use this idea is that sin is like approaching a calm pond and you throw a rock into it And those ripples just go and go and go. And you see all of them just keep running and running and running. And it's quite a sight to see that this is really a great visual of how sin works is that you just don't even begin to grasp how far reaching the ripples are going to go, how much damage it's going to cause, how much stain there's going to be that we're going to do with our lives. And yet here's the fascinating part of the stain. Look at verse 23. Here's God saying, now, how can you say, I am not unclean? I have not gone after the bales. And then he goes on to say, look in the valley and look at the way that you've gone. And those two verses there have been the the key text of what we've been talking about in this series. So here's, here's God saying, you've completely stained your lives by your sin, but you come to me and say, we're not unclean. All right, if you've had kids, you know what this looks like, right? They come up to you and there's, you know, this massive stain mess on their face and hands. And you say to them, have you eaten such and such a thing? And they go, no, no, we haven't eaten it at all. You know, I'm seeing the stain right on your face. How can you say you're not unclean? It's obvious that you've done it. There's a delusion that comes with sin, And that's what he's saying is the stain is ever before me, but you come to me and go, what are you talking about? I'm clean. I haven't done anything wrong. I don't worship false gods. I'm not involved in the passions and the lusts of the world. I'm not doing that. That's the picture that he says. He says, I'm staring right at it. I I see it on your hands. I see it on your face. I know that you've given yourself over to these things, but this ultimately is the terrible part of the problem of sin is that we don't see how we're defiling ourselves. This is a huge problem with sin. Is we don't see how we're defiling ourselves. We just don't see it. We don't see the impact it has on us. Have you noticed how sin changes the way you look at other people? Or how your mind thinks? Or how you, you, you think about your own life or how you look at God or how you look at the things of the world. It has a defiling impact 
There's a reason why God talks to us about guarding our hearts and being careful about what's in our minds because it changes us in a way that we don't even realize. You ever notice, like, if you ever had friends who spoke a particular way and then sometimes you pick up on that and you start doing that? I always crack up um, family that I know for a long time that moved from California to Minnesota. And if you've ever been up north, you know that they have... Strange O's in how they minister to the kind of things like that. And they start talking like that. And I said, you're from California. We don't say that, but they've been there for decades now. And you start picking it up and you don't even know that your O's are being defiled. That's the whole point of what God's trying to get us to understand. You don't see what sin is doing to you. You don't understand the damage and the impact. And that's the picture that he gives here is I I see you trying to wash yourself, but the stain is still there. But yet you come and you tell me that you're not unclean. I, I thought it was interesting that James used that picture. And I want you to think about what James says with this. In James 3 and verse 6, he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. You notice he pictures this interesting image of the tongue staining the whole body. Isn't that interesting? I bet we need to think about that. It's the same problem. We go, well, I don't see how... The tongue stains anything, right? You know, it's not causing any problems, right? And that's why James slows down and goes, just think for a minute how much damage the tongue does. He describes it like fire. He just, you know, just setting the world on fire with the tongue. It's so staining. But we like to tell God that we are not unclean. And I want to put in a third picture with this, with this idea as, as well. There's one more problem that he describes. And you notice that it's the problem that he's uh, asserting there in verse 25 when he, he says, essentially, stop wearing yourself out. Look at verse 25. Keep your feet from being unshod and your throat from, from thirst. He pictures their problem of sin as they're running around hurting their feet and dry throats. Because they're just out of their mind, completely encompassed and engulfed in their sins. And he's telling them, look at how you're hurting yourself. Look at what you're doing to yourself. And and that's why they say at the end of verse 25, oh, it's hopeless. We can't stop. We're going to keep harming ourselves. We're going to keep doing those things. And I want us to notice the imagery that God is using here. Have you ever noticed how exhausting sin is? The life of sin is terribly exhausting. The planning, the effort, the lack of peace, the scheming, the plotting, the lying to others, the keeping up with the lies to make sure all of that's going on really well. The deception, the grooving of this rut into your life. It is absolutely exhausting to live a life of sin. And he's using that here and saying, you're exhausting yourselves. Why would you do that? Why would you choose sin, which is absolutely exhausting? Or to put this as ultimately another way, is that you are allowing the flesh to have power over the spirit. And that's what we're doing. I hope we would think about the stain of sin in that way. 
And I can't tell you again how many people I can chalk up on the board who who simply say, yeah, I know what I should do, but the power of the flesh has become so strong that it now rules over them. They can't even sleep because they're plotting for sin. Their flesh is so in charge, they can't even enjoy the simple pleasures of life because they've got to worry about how they're going to fulfill their next desire. It becomes not only enslaving, but also this this stain upon us. And so it's picturing for us how it stains the way of our life. It stains the way of our thinking. It changes everything. And God is trying to communicate that to us and saying, these decisions to sin will forever change your life and forever stain your life. And I want you to see how that ties in with the third one, because I'm going to come back to the stain in just a moment. But his third picture that we're going to look at tonight is the shame of sin. Look at verse 26. He says, as a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests and their prophets who say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. And in the time of their trouble, they say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. This is quite a picture. Now, I want you to think about what he says in verse 27 when it says, so here's what happens. The people say to a tree, you are my father. And they say to a stone, you gave me birth. Now, I read that I go... I don't think that's literal. I don't think that what the people were literally doing was walking up to a tree and saying, yep, you're my dad. So, I, you know, okay, I'm, I'm your son. I don't think that's the idea, but rather to illustrate the absolute foolish thinking that comes when we are steeped in sin. The absolute foolish thinking that goes on. Then that's the illustration to describe this. And that's what you see him saying in verse 27. They have turned their back to me, but not their face. You won't turn your face toward your true father. Instead, in your time of trouble and in your desires, you're looking for the physical to be your answer. You're looking for that to be your father, your deliverer, your helper, your rescue, your way to have, have, have that, that kind of help. And the picture that he gives is just to say, how foolish is that? Now, think about what this is doing. If somebody walked up to a tree and said, you're my father, what would you want to say to them? You, know, you are nuts. You are out of your mind. You've completely lost it. You, you need some, some professional help because... Obviously, a tree is not your father. So here's the idea. How absolutely foolish, shameful, and silly is it for us to make decisions and put the will of our lives in the hands of a basically idols? To allow possessions, money, and fleshly desires to be the basis by which we make decisions. That's what we're doing. We're saying to our wealth, you're our father, so I guess we'll do whatever you say. You're saying to your body, whatever those desires are, I'll just do whatever it is. You're saying to whatever that worldly or or fleshly thing, you're my father. 
You're in charge. I'm going to submit to you and you have control over my life. And I'm going to do what you say rather than listening to what God says and making decisions based on the one who made us. Now watch what God does with that in verse 20, 26. Because in verse 26, he says, you're going to feel shame. But he says, you're going to feel shame like a thief. (laughs) Notice how he put that in verse 26. Just like a a thief feels shame only once they're caught. (laughs) Well, it knows the idea. You're going to feel ashamed. But what's the idea? Your your sinning is going to be exposed. You never get away with this. That's the other major lie about sin. Do you think we, we this morning we talked about marriage and faithfulness and all of that? Do you think people go into affairs going, I'm definitely going to get caught? <laughs> no. They think they're going to get away with it. They will never experience shame. This will never happen. No one will ever know. This is always the lie. And God always says, guess what? It's all going to come out. There's going to be shame that's going to come from this. You're going to experience that because it's all going to catch up with you. And I know you have the same experience. And I can't tell you how many stories of people who were caught in their sins and experienced shame. And the stain still remains. It's a sad thing. Usually when it's like a a notable preacher or an elder or teacher or something like that. Now, what do you think of? You think of the stain and the shame. It's the stain and the shame. It's just, it's just there. It's just on them. And that's what he's describing. You're not going to get away with this. The stain is going to be there. The shame is going to remain. The sinning is going to be exposed. And here's the big ending for this section. You're going to be left with nothing. You're going to be left with nothing. Did you see how God said that in in verse 27 and 28? At the end of verse 27, he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come into your time of trouble and then you're going to turn to God and you're going to say, oh, Lord, help us. (laughs) And notice God's answer in verse 28. Since you thought your sins and your idols were going to be your rescuer, I'm going to let them save you. Good luck with that. Do you see God say that? You think they're so important? You're going to call them your father? You're going to let those things rule your life? Then when the time of trouble comes, God's going to let your idols try to save you. And you know how that's going to turn out. It ain't going to help. He's going to let those consequences hit. And he's going to say, you think those things were so so great at that time? Let's see how they're doing for you now. God, we will call out to God to save, but he's going to let our worldliness try to save us. And it's ultimately going to fail us. And so God is asking this really important question. Who's going to help you in your time of trouble if you've given your life over to the things of the world? That's a really important question. If you give your whole life to worldliness and riches and sexual immorality and fulfilling the desires of mind and flesh, then who is going to help you when all of that comes crashing down? Nobody. Nobody. You're going to be left with nothing. And this is what he's trying to communicate to them. Let all of them arise and save you. And I love how he says it. If they can save you in your time of trouble, good luck. Good luck because there's only one God and there's only one who can save. But you want to put all your effort into the things of the world and let them try to help you. It's not going to work out at all.
All right. So I want to end with the three things that we've talked about and use these as tools then to help us break the power of sin in our lives. Number one, we have to see that sin enslaves us. We must groove this into our thinking. Sin is enslaving. You are giving yourself over to a life that you will no longer have control over. You are giving yourself over to desires that you will no longer be in charge. You think you're in control, but you're not. And we must recognize that when we walk down that path and we open those sin doors, you may not be coming back because those are enslaving sins. And they can grab a hold of you hard. And get you to the point where you will say the words of verse 25, it is hopeless, I can't stop. And that's what he's warning them about here. I set you free so that you don't have to experience that. I'm setting you free to a good life so that if you pursue those things, they're going to enslave you. Don't pursue those things. You will never be enslaved by the things of the world if you keep your heart pursuing God. But you let yourself go down that road. You've got quite a battle on your hands. You've got a hard road. You've got some difficulties. And as he said there in those early verses, he said, and it's only because of your choices. You have forsaken God, and that's why you're in this condition that you're in. So please hear what God is saying. Number one, God doesn't want you enslaved. I I try to communicate this over and over and over again. God's commands are not random rules to see if you will do them or not. God's commands are trying to keep you out of pain and suffering. And here's a good picture of he's trying to keep you from being enslaved to the things of the world. He came and set you free from them. He doesn't want you to give in to the enslaving nature of sin, but instead to give your life to the Father. Number two, please see that sin stains. It is a stain upon our soul, a stain upon our life, a stain upon our mind. When we give in to sin, we are grooving, if you will, this terrible rut in our life that is very hard to get out of. This is that potato chip idea. You are now entering into something that is going to stain and stain and stain and stain. And it is so hard to come out of that. And the good news of the gospel is you can be set free from sin and you can be cleansed from the stain of sin. But there are always these consequences. It's one of the things that we so often fail to miss. Yes, you can be forgiven and stand before God clean and enjoy eternity with God. But you still have a mountain of consequences from the decisions you've made in this world that you get to experience. So many consequences, so many pains, so many difficulties, so much trouble. The stain of sin still ultimately remains on us. And number three, your sin's going to catch up to you. And I think this is a very important part. The lie of sin is no one's going to ever know and you're going to get away with this. And God says, you're like a thief that's going to be caught one day and then the shame's going to kick in. You can get ahead of this and avoid that by dealing with your sin now and not thinking you're getting away with it and not thinking that God doesn't know or not thinking that this is not ultimately going to come up, come upon you. 
Because God, as we've talked about, has a very amazing way to expose our idols. And he does that for our good. You know, the reason why that's going to come out one day is because God's trying to rescue you from your slavery and rescue you from these sins. And he's going to ultimately one day expose them so that you can get right with him before it's too late. You can get ahead of that and get right with God and break that sin addiction and break the power of sin by the power of Christ and live a life of freedom and cleansing. And friends, I want you to think about this as we end. Think about how pleasant it is to be able to live an unashamed life. That you don't have to worry about being caught about anything. Because you're not enslaved. And you don't have that stain. And you don't have to worry about that shame. Because you're seeking to follow the Lord your God who has set you free. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father... Lord, I pray that you would emblazon these reminders upon us that you taught to the people of Israel about the nature of sin and the power of sin and what it does to us. And and Lord, help us to see this. Help us to see that sin does not give us freedom. It does not give us joy. It does not give us satisfaction. It just enslaves us. And it puts us under its control. And God, I pray that you would forgive us for that. Forgive us for when we have willingly given ourselves over to these sins and have been captured by them. And I pray, Lord, that you would set us free again and give us the devotion and the desire to run from them, to just run and run and not turn back to the very slavery that you have set us free from. And Lord, we know that we come before you with stained hands, that we are full of sin. And we pray not only for cleansing, Lord, but we pray, Lord, that we would be able to have a reversal in our life in such a way that we would be able to no longer be stained, but instead show your light and your glory to the world. Help us to overcome the terrible, sinful things and decisions that we've made so that we can be the image bearers that you want us to be and the people who can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And Lord, we know the shame of sin. We've all experienced it, and we pray not only for forgiveness in that, Lord, but help us to see the deep shame that comes from straying away from your word. And so, Lord, help us to put on your armor. Help us to be strong in the fight. Help us to see the power of sin. And, Lord, we thank you for your good news that you have set us free. And so, Lord, help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus. Lord willing, one more next Sunday night, and then we will put all three of those together in a big what, eight or nine point picture to kind of hopefully hold together and give us some, some good hope for the new year of how we can work hard against the power of sin and fight well in our efforts against what Satan's trying to do to us. But if you are here tonight and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, turn away from sin, to repent of those things and to follow him with all of your heart. We would love to help you do that tonight. Just, just let us know what we can do to help you in any way. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?